one weekend we were together and I was frustrated and I said, I don't think that we'll ever get to know each other if we don't get married. <laughs> and we were just sitting in the front seat of a car and she said, is that a proposal? And I said, well, I guess it is. I didn't really know that I was proposing or maybe I knew, but uh-huh. I, I didn't quite know how to go about it. Yeah. And she said, well, that's the funniest proposal I've ever had. <laughs> And I, I said, well, I don't know. And I was, you know, very f- flustered. Uh-huh. And she said, well, when do you want an answer? And I said, well, expeditiously. <laughs> I actually use that word, expeditiously. And she said, well, the answer is yes. Welcome to Along the Way. I'm John Matarazzo, your host and fellow traveler. Thank you for joining me along my way as I try to become more like Jesus every day. I love talking with fascinating people and learning how God has met them along their way. For this Along the Way conversation, I have the privilege and honor of talking with pastor and author, Dr. Robert J. Morgan. If you want to know how you can find God's promises and focus on them rather than your problems, then you'll really enjoy hearing our conversation. I'll get to that in just a moment, but I want to make sure that you know that you can hear all of my episodes, even the ones that you might have missed, by visiting my website, alongtheway.media, or simply subscribing to Along the Way in your favorite podcast app. You can also find Along the Way on Facebook and Instagram. I'm starting an Along the Way email subscriber list. If you would like to be notified of episodes and any other special announcements, please consider joining my email list. The link will be in my show notes. To reach me electronically, you can email me at johnalongtheway at gmail.com. My social links and web address are in the show notes. I look forward to hearing from you. And now, here's my Along the Way conversation with Dr. Robert J. Morgan. Dr. Robert Morgan, it's a pleasure to have you along the way on my podcast. Thank you, John. You know, I've loved and appreciated you for a long time, and so... Uh, it's just really special for me to be here with you. Yeah, we've had the pleasure of having you on Real Life several times yeah. now. And uh, it's it's always been wonderful to work with you. And the first time that I had a lot of interaction with you was through your book, Worry Less, Live More. That book, I actually gave it to a friend of mine uh, later that Christmas who was dealing with worry and anxiety. Mm-hmm. I just was so happy to know that they were going to hear the words of God written from you. Yeah, well, I've always battled anxiety. I think it runs in my family. But I found the passage in Philippians 4 that says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Mm -hmm. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And it goes on from there. But it seems to me that is the Lord's definitive um, formula mm-hmm. for dealing with anxiety and worry. And so the book Worry Less, Live More is really just an essential breakdown of that passage. Yeah, I know it, it blessed me a lot. So thank you for writing that. I am thrilled with that. And that's thank just you. one of many books that you've written. We also had you on recently for um, Always, Always Near. Always yeah. Near, yeah. Yeah. And uh, we're going to have you on uh, when your next book comes out too, um, regardless of what it is. But <laughs> well, but you do know what we do. We do know that the next book is the uh, one hundred Bible verses that made America. Yeah, and I am so excited about my own discovery yeah. of the role of the Bible in American history. 
some of the a lot of what I learned as I researched I didn't know mm-hmm. when I was growing up. I wasn't taught even in school in the 1950s and 1960s when you know we didn't have all of the revisionism that we have today. Right. I still was not taught American history very well, and particularly not the biblical aspects of it. Mm-hmm. So I think that this book, 100 Bible Verses That Made America, it's a biblical tour of American history. Yeah. And so I'm very excited about it. Very good. Well, I want to talk more about that a little bit later. But before we get to that, I want to hear about your story, because this podcast along the way is all about how Jesus has been walking with us along the way in our lives, but we didn't necessarily realize it in the moment. I want to ask you to share your story, just of how God has brought you to where you are now. Yeah, well, I'm glad to do that. You know, uh, my story is just a testimony. Everybody has their own. Mm -hmm. I was born in 1952 in uh, East Tennessee. My hometown was called Elizabethton, and it was a small mountain town right on the Tennessee-North Carolina border in the Appalachians. And my family uh, that I was born into was wonderfully Christian. My father was a deacon in the local church. My mother taught Sunday school and sang in the choir. So I grew up in a very Christian environment. I had a very good church, a very wonderful pastor, and he had a big impact on me. He was a pastor for a long time Mm -hmm. in my life. And I remember very clearly when Billy Graham would come on with his crusades. He would, uh, Billy Graham, the great evangelist, would have crusades in various cities, mm-hmm. and they would record three or four or five nights and put them down to one hour length, and they'd be on black and white TV, and we didn't get TV very well. It was all mm-hmm. snowy and, right. you know, with shadows and everything. But I remember we would always gather and watch Billy Graham's sermons. And, mm-hmm. and those, you know, that had a big impact on me. Later, I met Dr. Graham and I wanted to tell him what an impact I had, but I was so starstruck. I was, you know, I couldn't really. Yeah. I, I made a mess of trying to talk to him. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, I grew up with that kind of environment. But I will say that during my teenage years, uh, I had a hard time. I was introverted. No one had really taught me the mechanics of walking with the Lord, even mm-hmm. though I think I was a Christian. And my first year in college was pretty miserable. Uh, but I transferred to Columbia International University when I was 19 years old. And the first night in the dormitory, and I'd never lived you know, in any kind of setting. I hadn't even been to summer camp. So, mm-hmm. so living with all of these guys was, was traumatic near. for me. It really was difficult for an introvert. Oh, yeah. Um, but Bill McCoy, who was also 19, came in, and he had been wonderfully converted from a life of drugs during the Jesus movement, which was mm-hmm. you know, going on at that time. And, uh, and he challenged me that I needed to give my life absolutely to the Lord in every way, body, mind, and spirit, past, present, and future, vocationally and personally and emotionally and relationally. I mean, he, he really came down pretty hard on me, which is exactly what I had been needing for someone to do mm. and waiting without realizing it for someone to do. And so the next evening, which was December the, uh, September the 2nd of 1971, I yielded my life as fully as I knew how to the Lord. I knelt down by an old sofa at the end of the dormitory hall. Bill was with me, and we knelt down together. And I prayed, and that was really the turning point in my life. It's mm. as though the Lord flipped on a switch of adrenaline then when I was 19 that has never gone off, and I'm 67 mm. now. And um, 
And that, you know, I think I was converted before then, but there was something about that experience okay. uh, that changed my life. And then I finished, uh, uh, I, was, I had very good mentors then, uh, including Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, actually, mm. uh, in my college years. And, um, and then I went on to Wheaton Graduate School, and then Katrina and I were married. Um, and then I began pastoring. And so um, this will be our 43rd year of marriage and wow. our 42nd year of pastoring. Uh, so that's kind of my story in a nutshell. I look back, and, and I'm just so grateful. Mm-hmm. There's an old hymn that says, All the way my Savior lead me, uh, all the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy who through life has been my guide? And that's sort of the theme of my story. Yeah. So when you went to college and you had your, your conversion experience there, but it was a Christian school. So what were you originally going there for? Well, I knew, you know, even when I was a boy watching Billy Graham on television and watching my pastor in the pulpit, I was just drawn to preaching. I thought, this is the most wonderful thing in the world, to stand up with the Bible in your hands and to tell others about the Lord. And that's what I wanted to do. And I remember even as a boy going up in the mountains, I grew up right beside a a huge mountain, and I would walk up that mountain and find a rock and and try to preach, you know, to the squirrels and to the ferns and the -the jack-in-the-pulpits and Uh all the wallflowers. So I knew something within me was really yearning towards preaching and teaching and ministering. But I was confused, and I also wanted to be an architect. And my father owned a, a, a business, a mm-hmm. metal fabricating business, and he wanted me to go into that business. So I was, I was just conflicted and didn't know really what I wanted to do. But that yearning, which I think was a call to ministry, really, to mm-hmm. vocational ministry, was so strong. And I went my first year of college to a Presbyterian school. for a, It was a liberal arts school. And I was pretty unhappy there. And I didn't know what to do. And I remember someone told me about this school in South Carolina, uh, Columbia Bible College, which is today Columbia International University. And I wrote off and I got an academic catalog. Mm-hmm. And I very clearly remember sitting propped up in bed, looking at that and the courses that they offered and the faculty. And the Lord has never audibly spoken to me, but there have been three or four times in my life when... His voice was so unmistakable that there was no question about it. And it's as though the Lord said, this is where I want you to go to school. Hmm. So I pulled out the application, sent it in. I'd never visited the school and didn't know anyone who went there and didn't know anyone, you know. I just wrote in and applied, and they wrote back and said, you're accepted. (laughs) And I told my parents, and they were a little shocked by it all. Right, Um, because you were going to be an architect or something like that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I packed up my things and drove to Columbia, South Carolina, drove into the dormitory. They gave me my room and later in the day and walked Bill McCoy, who started challenging me to give mm-hmm. my life thoroughly to the Lord. Uh, Bill is, um, has been for many years a chaplain in the army since then. We still stay in touch uh-huh. very regularly. I love that guy, but only the Lord could have orchestrated mm-hmm. all of that. So that's kind of how, uh, how this occasion came about when I yielded my life as fully as I knew how to Christ. So you met your wife 
and you got married, mm-hmm. and she's from Maine. She's from Maine. She yeah. grew up in a little town in Maine, moved to uh, Florida to be the secretary for a wealthy Christian lady there, and then uh, decided that she too wanted to go to Columbia Bible College. Uh, so she showed up there my senior year, okay. and I was on a preaching team, and she was the secretary to the coordinator of that preaching team. So we worked together every day, mm-hmm. you know, coordinating our itinerary, but we never dated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I went off to Wheaton, we just kept writing to each other. Thirteen cents was what the stamps were back then. But I would write from Wheaton. We, you know, we didn't have email or cell phones mm-hmm. or anything. There was no way to really to stay in touch. You could use the pay phone. But it was very hard to coordinate, Yeah, you know, because you'd have to call from one pay phone to the other. And so you'd have to coordinate when you're going to be at those respective pay phones, and, and you'd have to have all your quarters and dimes and nickels. So mainly we just wrote to each other. And one weekend we were together, and I was frustrated, and I said, I don't think that we'll ever get to know each other if we don't get married. <laughs> and we were just sitting in the front seat of a car, and she said, is that a proposal? And... I said, well, I guess it is. I didn't really know that I was proposing. Or maybe I knew, but Uh I I didn't quite know how to go about it. And she said, well, that's the funniest proposal I've ever had. (laughs) And I I said, well, I don't know. And I was, you know, very flustered. Uh And she said, well, when do you want an answer? And I said, well, expeditiously. (laughs) I actually use that word, expeditiously. And she said, well, the answer is yes. And and we had to go back and tell my parents, something uh-huh. strange happened in the front seat of the car. We're engaged. Yeah. <laughs> and so we got married, really not knowing if we even loved each other. But, really? You know, uh, but we just, but we were sure. friendship because you were writing back and yes, forth. Yes, and friendship is the basis yeah. for any marriage. And so we've been married, next week will be 43 years. It's been a wonderful experience. Together now she's disabled now uh, mm-hmm. and pretty battling multiple sclerosis in a significant way, but we've had a wonderful uh, marriage really yeah. and ministry together. But but it sort of came about. Well, I think the Lord knew that boy doesn't know how to do anything. I'm just going to have to do it for him. <laughs> <laughs> and the Lord was right. Yeah. That's great. So how long from that moment where you guys had that that impromptu proposal in the front seat of that car until you guys actually got married? Yeah, I don't remember that, but it wasn't too long, a few months. And we got married on August 28th. And the reason that I remember that date is, I mean, obviously, I remember my anniversary, but many years later, we faced a real crisis with the situation that we were dealing with. And it was on our 25th wedding anniversary. And I was so distraught. I said, I cannot enjoy our wedding anniversary. Mm -hmm. I am overwhelmed with anxiety. But a friend called me and he said, how are you doing today? It's your 25th wedding anniversary. And I said, I'm miserable. I am so anxious. I can't even breathe. And he said, well, he said, don't be that way today. This is August 28th, 828, as in Romans 828, mm. everything is going to work together for good. And I've never forgotten that. You know, it's been many years ago, but I wrote a book on Romans 828 called The Promise. And 
that promise in Romans 8:28, for we know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are called according to his purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the date of our wedding. That's so cool. since then, I feel like every Christian ought to be married on 828. And actually, in a way, we all are living on 828 every single day. Mm-hmm. You know, every day is 828 for the believer. Anyway, that's I'm getting off track. I there, love that but, story. But though. that was our yeah. that was our anniversary. Our, our wedding was August twenty eighth of uh, nineteen seventy six, which was the bicentennial mm-hmm. year. So America was celebrating its two hundredth anniversary that year. That's cool. So, how did you end up here in Nashville? So for a year, I tried to find a church to pastor. We were newly married. We moved in for three or four weeks with my parents, and then I found us a place. I wasn't very prepared for marriage. (laughs) I thought that anybody would want to hire me to be a pastor. I mean, I'd been through Columbia International University, Wheaton Graduate School. We were up in the mountains, and there weren't too many. There were a lot of churches and not that many pastors. And I thought, this would be, you know, I'll find a place to pastor. Mm -hmm. And we went to 12 different churches. We call it candidating in our denomination, trying out. Mm -hmm to see if they want you to be their pastor. Twelve different churches, as I recall, every one of them turned me down. So I started working at J.C. Penney selling shoes, and Katrina got a job at a discount store, and we spent the first year that way. And then on our first year, literally, literally, on our first anniversary, August 28th of 1977, a little church in Greenville, Tennessee, outside of Greenville, and a little rural community invited us to pastor. And we moved there, and it was our first anniversary. Hmm. And later, many years later, a friend of mine, Bob Thomas, who lives in Elizabethton, I grew up with him, and he had been a missionary to Papua New Guinea, and he said, did I ever tell you what I gave you for your wedding anniversary? And I said, I don't remember that you gave us anything. He said, yes, he said, I prayed. I gave you a prayer. He said, I was reading in the Bible in the Old Testament where it says that when a man gets married, he should not go to war for a year Mm -hmm. after Mm -hmm. his marriage. And I prayed that you wouldn't get a church for a year after you were married so you could just work on your marriage. (laughs) And I said, so you're the one responsible for that. (laughs) Some friend you are. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I felt. But But literally, his prayer came true to the day, and I didn't even know that he had prayed it. So we were there in Greenville, Tennessee for two and a half years, and then a church here in Nashville, the Donaldson Fellowship. Donaldson is our community here in Nashville. But but this church called called me to be a pastor here, and we came on January 1st, 1980. So we've been here now for nearly um, 39 years. Oh, wow. Here at this church. And I was the senior pastor until a couple of years ago. And now I've transitioned to the teaching pastor. Okay. And uh, uh, I speak once a month. I preach once a month here. And the other three Sundays, I try to find a place if anybody will have me to preach. And you also write. And, I, and yes, and I stay very busy writing. Yeah. Yes. How many books have you written now? I don't know. <laughs> um that seems to be a common answer with a lot of people I've talked with. Yeah, I don't even know how, how I would know. Yeah. I mean, I have them listed, but the thing is that after so many years and so many books, they come out in ancillary products. Okay. Uh, or they come out, you know, they, they are republished under different names, or parts of them are taken and morphed into other resources. Okay. 
Plus, there's the books that I've that I've ghostwritten, mm-hmm. uh, and some of them I've been primarily I've written it, you mm-hmm. know, but but it's under somebody else's name, and some of them have been booklets okay. rather than full size books. Right. And so, how do you put all of that together? So when people ask me, I just say thirty five or so. But okay. Truly, the, the number of resources is, is a good deal higher than that. But I'm just grateful for the opportunity. Yeah. So what caused you to say, I'm going to write a book? I didn't. That's another thing that I didn't really expect. Uh, I was taught to write out my sermons in manuscript form. Okay. Or at least that's what I did. I think that I got some instruction about it. But I just found that, that if I could write out my sermon, my mother was a typing teacher. Okay. So she taught me to type. And I found that if I could type out my sermon in advance, even though I didn't read it, but uh, I would use the manuscript maybe for notes, Mm -hmm. especially in the earlier days of my ministry, that it would help me a great deal to get the word flow in my mind before I preached. Mm. In time, I started thinking, I've got all these manuscripts, and it seems a shame to spend 20 hours working on this, type it all up, then preach it to 70 people, Mm -hmm. and it's never heard again. What can I do with this? And so I began sort of crafting parts of those sermons into articles for magazines. Back then, there were a lot of magazines. I mean, today, magazines are almost gone. They've gone the way of the newspaper. But back then, we had lots of magazines. And so uh, some articles would start appearing in Decision Magazine and Moody Magazine and, uh, you know, Leadership Magazine and... Uh, the Southern Baptist had a lot of magazines that published my articles. So, so without knowing it, I was building a resume. Hmm. And then I wanted to write a little book that would help parents in my church lead their children to Christ. So I did that, and, and one of the publishers wanted to publish it. And I did a sermon series called Beyond Reasonable Doubt on uh, how to prove beyond reasonable doubt that Christianity is true. And another publisher saw that and said, can we publish it? From that point, I've never been without a book contract for, you know, 25 or 30 years. Wow. So it just happened. Now, Nashville is, is a hub of Christian publishing. Right, right. So it helped that I was here and that, you know, sure. sometimes editors or people would come to my church or something uh, or that I would have those contacts. I think the Lord brought me here because that's where those contacts could, could occur more easily. But truly, John, I was surprised that that, and I'm very humbled about it because I know there are a lot of people longing to be published, mm-hmm. and it's very hard today. Yeah, and and I've been all of these years, and and I don't have enough time to write all of the things that I have opportunities for. So it's just the Lord. I mean, it's nothing to be ashamed of or proud of. It's it's something just to be thankful for and to pray the Lord will use it. Yeah. Success is not arriving at certain statuses in life. It's simply doing day by day what God wants you to do. Mm-hmm. You know, that's all success is. Psalm 139.16 says, You saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. So success is simply doing what God wants you to do. Day by day and every morning, I have my devotions and I say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? And I try to plan out my day and, mm-hmm. and just do what God wants me to do that day. We have to live, you know, in one day increments. It doesn't mean we don't plan or we don't have aspirations, right. but we don't know if we'll even be alive tomorrow. 
You know, we can't do anything about yesterday. We can't do much about tomorrow. So, so we just have to do day by day what we feel God has called us to do. Yeah. I love that you just felt like there was something more for these sermons that God had taken you through Mm -hmm. and given you and you've crafted those with him. And you said, there's got to be something more. And it just led into articles, which led into books. And Mm -hmm. you just said, God's not done with this yet, basically. Yeah. And it's not because the sermons were any good. It's because the scripture is so superb. Mm. The Bible is the most extraordinary book. It is utterly unique. There has never been or will never be another book that has the dual authorship of human beings and the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. of God. Uh, That is every word written by fallible human beings, but is in its essence and in reality, infallible and inherent. And so the privilege of opening that book and studying it every day, and you learn new lessons. I mean, most of the lessons that I've learned have not come out of intense periods of studying the Bible as much as just reading it in my devotions every day. You know, today I was in the portion in Luke, Luke's gospel about the sower that sowed the seed. Mm-hmm. And he said, the seed is the word of God. And it's never been more important to sow that seed in our brains and mm-hmm. in our culture and in our children's lives than it is now. So the privilege of standing up with the Bible in our hands and saying, this is what the Lord says. This is absolutely yeah. true. It is true like nothing else is true. And to explain it to people. And, you know, there are 66 books. I feel like when you open the page of the pages of the Bible, you open the covers, you're walking mm-hmm. to a room with 66 friends. And every one of those books has a different message. Mm-hmm. You know, we should all know Malachi. We should all yeah. know Isaiah. We should all know Galatians. Uh, We should spend the rest of our life, I tell people, the Bible is small enough to hold in your hand, large enough to study forever, and deep enough to satisfy you throughout eternity. So (laughs) I never get tired of studying the Bible and learning lessons there and trying to tell other people what I've seen or what I've found. Yeah. Now, when you're spending time with the Lord in your devotions, could you tell me what that looks like and how God speaks to you through that? Yeah, I have a, a desk. I'll take you up if you want to see upstairs. <laughs> it's in a, a, a bedroom upstairs. It's really an old desk that my Uncle Tom made when I was a boy. My parents were school teachers, mm-hmm. and they never it got me involved in sports. And I'm not coordinated, so I'm glad they didn't. <laughs> but they, they commissioned my Uncle Tom, who was a craftsman, to make a desk for me when I was just a boy. And I've always sort of been... Uh, you know, I've loved my desks. So anyway, I have that in a in a window upstairs. So every morning I get up and get my cup of coffee and I have a journal. Um, and I will, uh, my prayer notebook, it's right over there. Um, and I'll journal a little bit, not much, mm-hmm. just enough to say today, um, you know, here's what I'm doing. And then I'll say today I'm reading from, and I read, I start where I left off the day before. So right now I'm reading, reading through the Gospel of Luke. Mm-hmm. And I just read, maybe I'll read two or three chapters, or maybe I'll read two or three verses. Or maybe I'll read the same chapter over five days in a row or ten days mm-hmm. in a row. When I started Luke, I was so occupied with the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah in chapter one, mm-hmm. I read that chapter every day for about a week. 
And I kept seeing lessons in it. Here you have, these are the first characters in the New Testament story, the first characters that God mentions in any way since Malachi. 400 years. And you have this old couple up in the mountains who are old and they're dealing with unresolved grief Mm -hmm. and their prayer for a child has never been answered, but they are still serving. And their biggest ministry is ahead of them still. So I just read that chapter over and over again, jotting down lessons, you know, that I learned. Really, I learned this from Ruth Bell Graham, Billy Graham's wife. When I was a sophomore in college, we would visit with her in her home in Montreat. Billy was always away preaching. And she said, do you have a notebook habit, Robert? I said, I don't know what a notebook habit is. And she showed me her notebook. And she said, every day I'll write a little bit and make my notations from my Bible study. And she showed me how to do it. I've been doing it ever since then. I was so inspired by her. She was the most extraordinary woman, apart from my wife and daughters that I've ever met. So anyway, I'll, I'll go through you know my Bible study time. Mm-hmm. That's when God speaks to me. And really, most of my creativity occurs in that time. And then I've got my prayer lists. So I'll turn the page, and, and I have a page, a Thanksgiving page, and I'll mm-hmm. write down something I'm thankful for, and I've got a page with all the members of my family, and I pray for them, and I pray for my church, and I pray for the nation, and I've got a map of the world Mm -hmm. in there that I pray for, and I've got my itemized prayer list on a monthly basis. So, And a lot of times I'll pray out loud. You know, I think that's a great idea. A lot of times I'll have a hymn book nearby because Mm -hmm. I love the hymns. They're so rich. Yeah, they're they're the richest treasure trove of devotional material apart from the Bible and the history of the church um, is is that hymn book. Um, And I work on scripture memory. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a part of my quiet time, too. Right now I'm trying to (laughs) memorize the first eight verses of Psalm 37. Fret not. You know, is the is the refrain that goes on mm-hmm. and on. I'm having a hard time doing it, but I'm just every day I'm reading that passage out loud and working on memorizing it. But I'm a, a huge advocate of scripture memory. So, so I just spend maybe thirty, forty-five, or sixty minutes mm-hmm. every morning, and devotional Bible reading, making notations in my journal, and praying, and maybe looking into the hymn book. Uh, maybe working on some scripture memory, or maybe reading a devotional book. Uh, right now, if somebody gave me an old book by Andrew Murray on the blood of Christ, which is phenomenal. He says things I'd never thought about before. Uh, the older writers are the better ones. Hmm. And so... Um, why, why do you think that? They had time to think. They really, you know, they weren't so distracted by all the social media and the noise mm-hmm. and the airplane schedules and everything we have. They had a much quieter life and they had time to think and to pray and to ferret out truths in the scripture. And that's another thing Ruth Graham told me. She's, I mean, I got to get this from her. She said, Robert, for every new book you read, read an old one. Mm. Uh, She said, C.S. Lewis says that and it's true. And she showed me some of her older books that she loved the writings of F.W. Borham, for example, and had a collection of his books, which I have over there as well. But at any rate, I just have these devotional exercises that involve those different components. And from the age of 19, when my mentors at at Columbia International University and and Mrs. Graham uh, and a few others taught me how to begin having that daily quiet time, is Mm -hmm. what they called it, uh, starting every morning with your devotions with the Lord from that day till this one. Uh, I've almost never missed a day. I can't say I've never missed a day. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, one day this week, I had to get up at three o'clock to catch a plane, three o'clock in the morning. Uh, and I got here and I was dead. Uh, and I rested a while and I showered. But then, I, you know, it was about 11 or 12 o'clock. But I said, before I do anything, I've got to have my devotions. Mm-hmm. So I went up to my desk and spent half an hour there. And there is something about it that quietens your mind and and restores your perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, ministry is overflow. So if you don't have the intake, you can't have the the output. Uh, someone said, if you're, how did they say it? If your outflow exceeds your intake, your upkeep will be your downfall. So Could you say I, that one more time? <laughs> well, I hope I can. <laughs> if your output exceeds your intake, your upkeep will be your downfall. That's really good. It is good, isn't it? Yeah. They were saying it actually financially. Okay. But it's true spiritually and emotionally Absolutely, as well. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. So you've been a pastor for a long time. Yeah. How have you dealt with some difficult times? And how did you persevere through those? Uh, not well. Uh, I can't say that I like crises. I'm um, prone to anxiety and mm-hmm. panic attacks. And I've had a lot of the kind of stresses that pastors have. But in addition to that, I've had two or three extraordinary stresses. One has to do with a loved one. Mm -hmm. Another one had to do with a crisis at my church about 12, 13, 14 years ago. And then another one, of course, is Katrina's disability, Mm -hmm. which, you know, I'm a caregiver. And gradually her condition has gotten worse. But I would say that these moments of crisis or difficulty, I battle depression, I battle discouragement, I battle anxiety, but the Lord has never let me give up. Mm-hmm. And you just have to go into the scripture and find a promise. I mean, that, it's as simple as that, John. When, when I've been under such pain or stress that I didn't think I could survive, and literally I'm speaking, I would go up to that desk upstairs or somewhere else and open my Bible, and just and open my journal. Mm-hmm. And that's when I write. I mean, if I'm deeply troubled, I may write several pages in my journal because it ventilates yeah. your feelings, and it allows you to get all of these feelings that are swirling around inside of you down in black and white. You can deal with them a little bit better. And then I'll open the Bible, and I'll say, Lord, I need a promise. Mm-hmm. And God always has a promise there for whatever we may be going through. You will never face any crisis but what God has placed a promise in the Bible for you just for that crisis. Mm -hmm. And so I just hang on to those promises. It's like uh, hanging on, you know, to the end of a rope. Um, And you hang on by faith, and that pulls you through. Mm -hmm. But you can never give up. You know, the Bible says, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Mm And some nights I've just been in so much pain and anguish, but I have to force my mind to focus on the promise instead of on the problem. Mm -hmm. And if you can do that, then you can get through it. Having a a God mentality really changes Mm -hmm. everything. Yeah. Yeah. I want to share a little bit of something that... um, I think it was last year, because I guess it would have been last year because it was your anniversary. I sent you a text message 
happy anniversary, Dr. Morgan. And uh, we just started talking a little bit through that. And you, you started telling me about this trip that you and your you and your wife went on for your anniversary. And, you know, she's in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm thinking, like, how is this possible? And you're you're listing all these amazing places and you, you guys went to see the Mission Impossible movie or something like that. But I just was like, wow, what a unique perspective that you have where it doesn't matter what your physical location is. You're with your wife, you love her, and you're having this date together that was amazing. And through the movie, you guys traveled all over the place. And it was just like, it was really encouraging for me to, to just to see your response to that. And it was just kind of like this fun, sweet thing. And to be able to see you guys interact in person, this, you know, since we, since I got here and we've yeah. had dinner together. Yeah, I'm glad you got to meet Katrina. Absolutely. Yeah. She's, she's wonderful. I've enjoyed talking yeah. with her. But just to see your love has obviously grown over these 43 years. Well, you know, Friday nights are our date night. Yeah. Uh, we still do that after all of these years. We don't go out very much mm-hmm. because she has trouble eating. You saw tonight mm-hmm. that she struggles to get her, her fork or her spin up. And sometimes late in the day, she can't do it at all. But I try not to help her because she needs to, right. you know, she needs to, to keep working on being as independent as she can be. Uh, but I'll cook, although mm-hmm. recently we've gotten so we order, you know, from DoorDash. <laughs> but you ate with us out yeah. by the pool. We we have sixteen grandchildren and uh, and one great grandchild. So we uh, and we've had an above ground pool for a long time, and it sort of went went kaput last <laughs> year. So we just decided we'd put in a regular pool, yeah. and so we have a place out there to eat. So a lot of times on Friday night we'll just go out there and and order something from DoorDash and. Mm-hmm. And uh, fight away the flies, and yeah. But we, you know, you've got to enjoy the simple things, right? Uh, we traveled when we could, but we can't travel now, mm-hmm. and it's all right. I travel you for my travel ministry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I travel. You know, I, our granddaughter uh, takes care of Katrina when I'm away for speaking engagements. Except for that, we really can't travel. So we just the the important thing, John, is to stay cheerful. Yeah, we just have made up our minds we're going to stay cheerful. If you let yourself get depressed, that's just a spiraling downward you can afford. Mm-hmm. And it's not biblical. I mean, it's very natural. It's very right. human. Right. But the Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. And Jesus said, be of good cheer on five different occasions. Mm-hmm. And he said things like, why do you weep? And the Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. So we really work hard to be cheerful. Now, I'll say this to you without being afraid of saying it. You know, with Katrina's illness, if we're under too much strain, if she is, then maybe we'll go to the doctor and say, we need some medical help here. Mm -hmm. You know, with the mood fluctuations and things, this is a tough place we're in. So I'm not against seeing doctors and getting good medical help and and sometimes getting some supplemental help Mm -hmm. to deal with things emotionally. But the foundation has always got to be spiritual. Yeah, absolutely. It's got to be rooted and grounded in Scripture and in your relationship with the Lord. And that's where the real joy and the cheer comes from. Mm-hmm. As you look back at your life and your, your walk with the Lord, you know, this, this podcast is based around the Emmaus Road story of how the mm-hmm. disciples were walking with Jesus but had it's no It's my favorite clue. Bible story. Yeah. My very favorite Bible story is Luke 24. Yeah. So where in your life, can you tell me about an experience where you didn't realize it right then, but your heart was burning and you realize it when you look back? Well, I can look back and 
many things that I would never have known to plan. Mm. Like just going to Columbia International University. I had no idea when I was unhappy, propped up in the bed, that, and the Lord said, go to that school, that that very day when I arrived there, this guy would walk into the room and mm. challenge me to give my life completely to the Lord. Very abrasively, really, yeah. to be honest with you. I never knew when I started having devotions with the roommate across the hall that he was a close friend of Billy and Ruth Graham mm. and that he would take me up to visit with Ruth and, and occasionally with Dr. Graham when they were there. But that was life-changing for me. Uh, I never knew when I was introduced to Katrina, who was the secretary in the office, uh, that that would be my wife. And I didn't imagine that for a long time until it happened. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know when I got engaged that I'd done it. <laughs> um, I didn't know when I was turned down 12 times for a pastorate yeah. that God had a different direction for my life that would lead me in Nashville. And, and that when I learned to type out my sermons, that would lead to being a published writer. And I've been writing for many, many years for Ministries Connected with David Jeremiah. I mean, it's been very wonderfully fulfilling to me and very enriching. It's been a tremendous part of my life to be associated with David Jeremiah. Mm -hmm. But I had nothing to do with that. I mean, one day I got a phone call and uh, my publisher said, would you be interested in writing for this magazine? Uh, they've called wanting a writer. And I said, well, I'll give it a shot. And that was nearly 20 years ago. <laughs> so I think... John, looking back, it is the Lord leading us, like I said, all mm -hmm. the way my Savior leads me. And at all of those occasions, there is a burning, warm, wonderful sensation in your heart because you know you're walking with God. Yeah. You know, the disciples didn't realize until Jesus sat down and broke the bread. Jacob didn't realize mm -hmm. when he was in the desert until he woke up. Surely the Lord is in this place and we didn't know it. We can't always know exactly when something is happening, the magnitude of what is happening, but we look back and we say, the Lord was in that. Mm -hmm. It's what George Washington said 270 times was providence. You know, the providential, sovereign guidance of God. Mm -hmm. The Bible says he leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yeah. And when I look back, you know, I... I have a sense of failure over my own legitimate failures all along the way. But when you look back and see how the Lord has led you, yeah. then you've just got to be full of rejoicing. You just mentioned George Washington talking about providence yeah. to, what, 270 sometimes? 270 times. He, was, he would say over and over again, if people do not recognize the providence of God in the establishing yeah. of this nation, then they don't deserve to retain this nation. Yeah. He was so convinced that God had providentially orchestrated all of the, not only the affairs of his life, but the affairs um, historically to bring mm -hmm. about the United States of America, yeah. that he would never have imagined there would be a generation that didn't see the hand of God's providence. Yeah. He called it the invisible hand behind all of this. Yeah. Well, let's talk about how God has providentially led you into this new project that you're working on, the 100 Bible verses that made America. Yeah. Can you tell is, me about this? Yeah, this is... Um, this is exciting. Well, my publisher was wanting a book idea um, for my next book that I had on the contract. And I had about five ideas 
that I think were very rich ideas, but I wasn't sure they were so marketable. You know how mm-hmm. the market is today? Sure. And I don't know where it came from, but suddenly I thought, what about a, a book, 100 Bible Verses That Made America? And I just threw it out to them, and instantly they said, we want to do that one. <laughs> so then I thought, well, now I've got to do the research for it. <laughs> I hadn't really. <laughs> yeah, so I did a deep dive into American history. And could not believe all the, I mean, some of the books right here are actually literally on this table around us. Um, I could not believe the impact of the Bible Mm -hmm. on, uh, from the pilgrims and the Puritans uh, to the founding fathers. Do you know that America, the creation of America, the Declaration of Independence occurred in between the first and second Great Awakenings? The first Great Awakening was the tremendous revival that under George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards and others that coalesced America, hmm. really, and unified the colonies spiritually and morally and emotionally in a way that they never had it before. And then, then that led, that provided the foundation for the uh, momentum to sign the Declaration of Independence mm-hmm. and the Revolutionary War. And then as soon as the war was over, the second Great Awakening occurred. Uh, with the Cane Ridge revivals in Kentucky and the revivals up and down the Ivy League colleges and the Mm -hmm. universities on the eastern seaboard. And that uh, coalesced and solidified American morality for 200 years. I mean, these revivals on either side of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, Mm -hmm. America wouldn't be here today without those two revivals. Wow. and uh, the founding fathers, not all of them were Christian, none of them were perfect, but every one of them knew the Bible down to their fingertips. Hmm. And there were specific Bible verses all along the way that sustained George Washington and John Adams and Samuel Adams and John Quincy Adams and, um, and the founders of America's great fields like Benjamin Rush, mm-hmm. who started American medicine. I mean, you're there yeah. in Pennsylvania. So much of our American history started in Philadelphia and around Pittsburgh with the Revolutionary War stories there. Uh, And all the way through with the uh, abolition of slavery Uh, and Frederick Douglass and and the great abolitionist in the North. That was based on scriptural convictions Mm -hmm. and on Christians saying this is an evil. We've got to do something about it. And then even into the modern era, uh, I remember when, when I was a teenager... On Christmas Eve, we sat down and turned on the TV like billions of other people, and we saw Apollo circling the moon. Mm-hmm. We'd never, humans had never been to the moon before, and we didn't even think we could. And NASA didn't think we could until about three or four months before the launch, and they realized they had to do it or the right. Russians would get there. And at great risk, they sent those three men to the moon, circling the moon, and on Christmas Eve, we turned on our TVs, and I remember it, the black and white and, and snowy and mm-hmm. hard to see, but you could see Earth, that little globe from the moon. Mm. And they said, we have a message for all you good people on Earth. And nobody, even NASA, not even the president, nobody knew what they were going to say. Mm. And they said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the Earth. Mm. And they read the first 10 verses of Genesis. And said, and so from the moon, we wish you Merry Christmas and good night. I mean, all along the way, 
the Bible has shaped the history of our nation. And now the historians and the secularists are trying to erase it all. Mm -hmm. And I don't intend to let that happen in as much as I can help it. Yeah. And so that's really what's behind this this book, 100 Bible Verses That Made America. We want to tell people, here are the stories of the impact the Bible had to make this unique nation, Mm -hmm. which is unlike any other nation. It truly is a miracle. Here between, on this undiscovered continent between these two shimmering seas Mm -hmm. that has been the missionary sending center of the world now for so many years uh, and has been a beacon of liberty in which brave men and women have shed their blood to bring freedom to people all over the world. There's never been a nation like this. Mm -hmm. And so the Bible has had a formative influence every step along the way. And so I tell 100 of those stories I could have told a thousand of them, wow. John. Were you a big history buff before this? I love history. Okay. Uh, I have since I was a um, freshman in college, and I had a professor who was eccentric and nerdy and who would pace back and forth and wring his hands and tell his lectures in a very nervous voice, but he would tell the story of Western civilization in a way mm. that just kept me on the edge of my seat. That's where I learned to love history. But honestly, I didn't have a good education in American history. I don't think children do anymore in school. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, this is not a thorough study of American history, but I do think people will learn yeah. a great deal about American history and about the biblical nation of American history as they read this book, 100 Bible Verses That Made America. Yeah. Um, before we started this podcast interview, you told me a little something that was really interesting about uh, John Quincy Adams. Would you mind sharing that? Uh, John Quincy Adams was the most fascinating character I studied. And I, I couldn't believe this, but he knew and served under George Washington, and he knew and served with Abraham Lincoln. His life spanned Washington to Lincoln. Hmm. He knew both of those men. Uh, because he was a boy during the Battle of Bunker Hill, and his mother uh, brought him. uh, The story of it is right here in this (laughs) book. Uh, But his mother brought him uh, to a hill where they could watch the Battle of Breed's Hill and the Battle of Bunker Hill. And then then after the Revolutionary War, when Washington became president, John Quincy Adams was in his administration. And uh, John Quincy Adams became his father's secretary at age 14. Mm -hmm. So he served in the administration of George Washington. And later he went on to become the president himself, but he only served one term. Mm -hmm. And then he was beaten, you know, and was very embittered. But he went right back into the House of Representatives, the only president, Mm -hmm. to then go back and serve in Congress. And the moment he was elected and he got into the House of Representatives, he stood up and started arguing um, it was like a blowtorch mm-hmm. for the abolition of slavery. And he served term after term after term in the Congress. He was a rabble-rouser. He was a deep Christian mm-hmm. and always advocating uh, biblical principles. And based upon his biblical principles, uh, he believed in the abolition of slavery. Now, he also, interestingly enough, loved to skinny dip in the uh, Potomac River. Mm-hmm. He was famous for his early morning swims in the Potomac River. But he stayed healthy and and lived to a very old age. And his last two years, he died in the United States Capitol. 
Really? He was, uh, and Abraham Lincoln was probably there. I, I could never quite verify this for mm-hmm. sure. But his last two years were Lincoln's first two years in the U.S. House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. So they served side by side in the Congress. And Quincy Adams was getting up to, uh, to make a point, and he killed over. And they hollered, Mr. Quincy, Mr. Quincy, he's dead. Uh, but he wasn't. But they carried him to the uh, office of the Speaker of the uh, House of Representatives, hmm. and he died there. So he literally died in the United States Capitol. Wow. Uh, while his colleague, Abraham Lincoln, was probably there or very close by. Mm-hmm. So he was a man who loved the Scripture, knew it better than you or I do, and who served Washington and with Lincoln during the course of a life in which he fought tooth and nail for the abolition wow. of slavery. Wow. So in this day and age, history is not being taught the same way. In fact, there's a revisionist history that is happening. Could you explain why it is so important to hear the truth of how the Bible is uh, has been so formative in our nation? I'll be very honest. I think that the secularists are so determined to erase Christian history from our books that they'll do anything to deny the influence of the Bible, to rewrite history, to write the Bible and Christian influences out of the American story in order to pave the way for a kind of society which is totally secular Mm -hmm. and disconnected from anything that would respond to divine or biblical authority. And we see this everywhere. Do you know the uh, governor of Illinois just signed a bill so that in Illinois, every school is required to teach mm-hmm. the contributions made to Illinois history by the gay and lesbian and transgender community. Well, that's their business to do that. But it makes me ask, as a Christian, those who believe the Bible had a much greater influence than anybody else, why is it illegal to even open a Bible in the public schools? Mm-hmm. Why is it that our heritage is the only heritage that is banned and forbidden from our school? Right, right. And that's what we're dealing with here. I just read a biography of uh, Woodrow Wilson. It was very thick. It was two or three inches thick. And Woodrow Wilson was a flawed man. I'll be the first mm-hmm. to say, I don't. in a lot of ways, I don't like Woodrow Wilson. But he was tremendously impacted and informed by his Presbyterian faith mm-hmm. and by his belief in Scripture and the sovereignty and and in the providence of God. But in this huge biography, there was only like one paragraph devoted to his Christian faith. Uh, So people are just expunging this from the record Mm -hmm. because if they can disconnect America from our biblical Judeo-Christian heritage, then they have freedom to go in whatever secular, godless, evil way they want to. And it's a reenactment of Romans chapter 1. You know, uh, the last part of Romans chapter 1, when Paul talks about how a society just tumbles downward in a spiral of godlessness until there is nothing left but chaos. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important for us to know our our history the way it really occurred. We may not be able to change our society, but we can say like Joshua did, as for me and Mm -hmm. my house, we will serve the Lord. That's very good. I think it was George Orwell that wrote... He who controls the present controls the past, and he who mm-hmm. controls the past controls the future. I think it's in 1984 of that book. That's so very true. People yeah. that are controlling our present right now 
are trying to change the past so that they can rewrite the future. Yeah, and, and you know, Christians are intimidated now. Mm-hmm. We are really a lot of pastors, and, and I have to fight this myself, and I'm, I can be pretty audacious. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a stubborn hillbilly from the mountains of East <laughs> Tennessee, but we feel like we have to be so careful to be totally non-offensive in everything we say. And I do think we've got to be very loving and mm-hmm. gentle and Christ-like. And being Christ-like, there are times when you have to say, this is the truth. And I love you so much. I'm going to say this even if you don't like it. I don't want to be political in my ministry. But I also don't want to avoid taking biblical positions on moral issues, even if they have political implications. Mm. And that's the balance that we've got to find. Uh, It isn't easy, but Jesus did it and Paul did it. Mm -hmm. And I think we can do it too. Robert, if you could go back into the past and visit yourself at a younger age and give yourself some advice. Where in your past would you interact with yourself? And what do you think you would say? Yeah, I don't know. The The problem, John, is that at every stage along the way, I wasn't ready for anything more than what happened next. Mm. And God orchestrated that so that I was led step by step. So if I had to go back and tell myself something that would cause me to leap forward, I don't think I would have been ready for that or listened to it. I think I just had to learn everything the hard way, step by step. When I disciple young men, or I've got, say, a millennial or a teenager Mm -hmm. or a college kid who's going with me on a preaching trip or something, and I've got time in the car with them, there are four or five things that I... You know, they don't know what they're getting into when they get in the car with me because I really, I know that I may have 12 hours with them and never again. Yeah. So I want to find out, number one, where is your heart? Is it fully committed to the Lord Jesus Christ? Where is your head? Are you really pouring into the scripture mm-hmm. and learning that? Where are your habits? Is there really purity there? Where is the holiness you need in your life? And where is the hard work? that Jesus wants you to have. I really think that that's the the pathway of discipleship. It Mm -hmm. starts with your heart. You have to be fully surrendered in every way to Christ. Uh, Lord, you can have everything there is of me, no closet or cupboard or cubicle. Uh, I'm going to lock up against you. I'm just going to open everything and let you have control. And then we've got to have the habits that will lead to holiness, and that's Bible study and prayer and Mm -hmm. the other basic habits of the Christian life. That leads to increasing holiness, which isn't going to come all at once. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll not fully get there until we get to heaven. But we've got to increasingly try to be people of purity. And that leads to just the hard work of doing whatever it is God calls us to do. You know, we're not here just to, to be entertained all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the secular world out there that doesn't have any divine mission. But for those of us, who have a divine mission, God has placed us here, then life is a wonderful experience of hard work for the kingdom. And where I would have intercepted myself along the way with that message, I don't know. I think certainly as a young husband, Mm -hmm. I wish I had known more about, you know, like I said, I'm an introvert. Mm -hmm. I'm not especially emotionally, it's not always easy for me to, to be emotionally giving. And I think I would have been a better husband if I'd known earlier to to meet the emotional needs 
of my wife better. I think there are a lot of things like that mm-hmm. that we learn slowly. Uh, but I don't know how I would answer that question. <laughs> That's, that That's one all is, right. That one is out of my pay grade. <laughs> well, I appreciate the wisdom that you just shared, though, because we don't have that luxury of going back and speaking to ourselves. But the encouragement that you said, God prepared me for the next thing. Mm-hmm. And along the way, God prepared you. And that's, that's, yeah. that's where we are right now. The we Lord to... leads us step by step, yeah. moment by moment, and day by day. Yeah. It's wonderful to finally realize that. Mm-hmm. You know, the Lord said to Joshua, every step that your foot falls, I'll give that land to you. Yeah. But it was just a step by step process. Yeah, it's not everything that you see; it's everything that where your foot goes. Mm-hmm. So you got to physically, yeah, follow through with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really, really interesting to see how God does that. Robert, I appreciate all the wisdom that you've been sharing with me for this last hour, and you know, having dinner with you and your lovely wife Katrina. But I like to ask this question a lot as well: What book would you recommend for me? There have been a few books that have been very impacting to me. Uh, but just in general, Knowing God by J.I. Packer, which mm. came out when I was in college. Have you read that? I have it, but I haven't read the whole thing. I've read parts of it. Yeah, it's a, a very wonderful book about the different aspects of coming to know the God that made us, who loves us, who we work with and walk with. Mm-hmm. And I, I just have found a great deal of encouragement out of uh, Packer's Knowing God. I think A.W. Tozer's Knowledge of the Holy, uh, of course, Pilgrim's Progress. Mm-hmm. I love Eusebius, the church history of Eusebius. And Martin Lloyd-Jones' book, Spiritual Depression, has been a great help to me in uh, dealing with um, you know, my fluctuating emotions. Mm-hmm. And years ago, I shouldn't tell you this, but Norman Vincent Peale's book, The Power of Positive Thinking, and his book on enthusiasm were a tremendous help to me. Now, I think that his theology is very shallow. I don't endorse Mm -hmm. his theology, but uh, somehow when you read his writing, it it lifts your spirits. Mm. Um, I love the writings of uh, Vance Habner, the old uh, North Carolina evangelist, and uh, I mentioned already F.W. Borham. Right now I'm reading, like I said, uh, Andrew Murray who was a a South African uh, devotional writer. But if there just is one book, uh, it's hard to beat Jai Packer's Knowing God. Yeah. I love what you said about the the wisdom that uh, Ruth Graham gave you. For every new book you read, read an old one. Yeah. Yeah. That's... And I've tried to do that. I took that very seriously. Yeah. I think that's that's a big wisdom right there. Yeah. Well, Robert, when does your book, The 100 Bible Verses That Made America? February 4. Okay. It's available now for pre-orders. You know, in the publishing world now, John, everything depends on pre-orders. Right. So I would love for people to go to their favorite book distributor, uh, whoever that is, mm-hmm. uh, and, and pre-order it. Uh, but it's called 100 Bible Verses That Made America. My subtitle that I fought for was a biblical tour of American history. Mm-hmm. The one that ended up on the cover says, defining moments that shaped our enduring foundation of faith. Anyway, it'll be available at all bookstores, and I think it'll be 
fun to read. I yeah. really think this would be a fun book for people to read. So even now we can order it online. Absolutely. Or we can pre-order it online. That would be great. So I'll make yeah. sure I put a link in the show notes so that people can, can do that. Thank you, so. John. You're the best. <laughs> You're the you. best. Thank you. I really appreciate the time that I get to spend with you while we're recording and when we're not recording as well. Yes, and you Thank didn't, you so much for you your didn't kill over dead from the supper that I fixed for you. <laughs> <laughs> it was very good. It was very good. Thank you. God bless you. It was so enjoyable to be able to spend that time with Dr. Robert J. Morgan. Even though I'm from Pittsburgh, I've never had the pleasure of meeting Mr. Fred Rogers from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, but I imagine that Robert is probably pretty close, and that's one of the highest compliments that I can give someone. I found it interesting that even though he went to a Christian school, he hadn't really surrendered his whole life to Christ until his roommate Bill challenged him to take his intellectual understanding of Christ to a life-changing revelation and a heart decision. That just goes to show you that it is always valuable to share Jesus with people, even if they might already know about him in their head. They say that the hardest journey for someone to take is the 18 inches from our head to our hearts. So I want to ask you, is your life yielded to Christ, or is it just an intellectual understanding? Make sure that today your heart is completely with Jesus. I love when he talked about the imaginary conversation in heaven. Well, I think the Lord knew that boy doesn't know how to do anything. I'm just going to have to do it for him. Sometimes I'm pretty sure that God works like that with me too. Dr. Robert Morgan held on to the promise of God found in Romans 8:28. What are the promises that God has given me that I need to hold on to? I know he has given me promises, but we often forget and let them go. Let's make it a point to hold on to God's promises for us. He talked about not wanting his sermons to be a one and done message. So he took those manuscripts and repurposed them into articles that led to books and that led to even more books. Dr. Morgan gave a great definition of success. Success is not arriving at certain statuses in life. It's simply doing day by day what God wants you to do. Mm. You know, that's all success is. Psalm 139.16 says, You saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. So success is simply doing what God wants you to do. You know, at the beginning of this year, I started using the Full Focus Planner for my daily goals, and I've been setting daily goals and journaling every day since. Well, almost every day. But being purposeful about trying to do what God wants me to do every day has made me much more productive when I'm intentional about it. Michael Hyatt's Full Focus Planner is not an affiliate of Along the Way, but I will definitely recommend it if you would like help organizing your days to do what God wants you to do for that day. I enjoyed hearing him talk about his love for the Word of God. It's like his 66 best friends. The Bible is small enough to hold in your hand, large enough to study forever, and deep enough to satisfy you for eternity. I like the advice that Ruth Graham gave him for every new book you read, read an old one. I don't know if I can do a one-to-one -one ratio, but I definitely need to read some more older books. Dr. Robert J. Morgan is such an encouragement when you spend time with him and when you read his books. I can strongly recommend his books, Worry Less, Live More, and Always Near. 
His next book, 100 Bible Verses That Made America, will be released in February of 2020, so keep a lookout for that. Thank you for listening to Along the Way. If you've enjoyed joining me along my way, please share this with a friend who you think will be encouraged by this podcast. Also, please rate and review Along the Way on iTunes. That will help more people discover Along the Way. And subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and at my website, alongtheway.media. You can also email me at johnalongtheway at gmail.com. I hope that you've enjoyed this part of my journey, and may you realize when Jesus is walking with you along your way.